This week in KMA Land, Page County elected officials receive pay raises. Page County Conference Board decides an assessor's salary. Shank Link and Wabash Trace projects get the county's financial backing. Glenwood, Red Oak, and Atlantic named a 2024 Ragbri route. Fatal fire investigated in Farragut. And AEA changes a hot legislative briefing topic. I'm Mike Peterson. Most of Page County's elected officials are receiving pay raises next fiscal year, except for the supervisors. By a two-to-one vote at a special meeting Monday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved 3.5% salary increases for the county auditor, recorder, treasurer, attorney, and sheriff for fiscal year 2025, beginning July 1st. Page County's Compensation Board recently recommended 7.5% for the same offices, which the supervisors could keep or reduce by even amounts. Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes cast the lone dissenting vote. Holmes called for no raises for county officials, claiming they're already fairly compensated when factoring in the value of the benefits packages offered by the county. I think our elected officials are fairly compensated. I ran the math. With the stipend, the auditor is making around $110,000 package. The, the recorder, the treasurer are about $105,000-ish with the, with the whole total package. Carl's at $138,000 package. Lyle's at $130,000 package. Supervisor Todd Maher motioned to approve the 3.5% increase while acknowledging they need to be fiscally conservative. Mayher believes the raise is modest compared to other counties across the state. We're holding back and not giving in to just rubber stamping whatever right. the comp board says. If you look at the past wages or the, the past raises starting from two years ago, it's been very modest raises compared to anybody else in the state where they're getting eight, nine, ten percent going across. I mean, we're not rocketing up to top five counties in the, you know, as far as saying they need to take care of their county officials and acknowledge their work with a bump in pay. Supervisor Judy Clark says and only get more challenging to budget adequate pay moving forward as the impacts of legislation passed in the state house last year take effect, including House File 718. This sort of freeze that the, the state has put on us until 2029 things are only going to get worse Yes, and tighter and, and harder. Yes. And Gary reiterated the same thing he said he told his council the night before, that things are going, that if they're going to do it, you need to do it now because next year is going to be worse and the year after that's going to be worse and the year after that. So we need to be very cognizant of that and we need to take care of everyone. By a two-to-one vote, the supervisors cut their salaries by 5%. In making the motion, Holmes says it still provides adequate pay for the board while being fiscally responsible. I believe that puts supervisor wage down a couple thousand more and it's a fair wage for what we do. We do work hard. There is a lot to this. There's a lot of stress to this. You face the voters, you face the public, you face the taxpayer. But that's as servant as I can do. That's a, We're trying to be a servant here. So Mayher cast the descending vote, suggesting to instead leave it at 0% as recommended by the comp board. Likewise, Page County's assessor is also receiving a pay hike next fiscal year. On Monday night, the Page County Conference Board approved the preliminary budget for the assessor's office for fiscal year 2025 beginning July 1st. The approved budget includes a 3.5% increase for County Assessor Jason Renander. The action follows Renander presenting his budget, which included a roughly 15% raise for his position, bringing his salary to $87,000. Right off of ISEC's website, um, I 
cut and pasted some of it out just to kind of simplify it down, but I think I can give you guys a link. Um, so you could look at the whole survey if you wanted to, look at any other surveys if you wanted. And then I just used, I didn't use the average number, I just used the median number. I think the median is probably more statistically inaccurate when you look at Based on that ISAC survey, Renander adds his current salary of roughly $76,000 ranks 80th in the state, compared to the county having the 49th highest population. Renander argues that basing an assessor's salary off the population versus the number of parcels is typically more commonplace around the state. Or higher population, the more appeals are going to deal with, um, and I think that's true of any office, you know, the higher population, the more the treasurer, the auditors, um, all those offices are going to have to deal with. And so that's kind of a uniform way to that. While acknowledging that 15% was high and likely not doable, Shenandoah School Board member Gene Fichter suggested a 5% raise. While applauding Renander's work, Lorenda Mayor Craig Hill says the current salary is a decent wage for Southwest Iowa, but he still believed a 4% increase could be done, similar to the uptick expected for the city of Clorinda's employees. And I know, Jason, you got to come in and you got to please your case, and I respect that. And... Uh, but at the same time, I've got to answer to the taxpayers of our community as well. Right. And there's a meeting tonight at the school board, or they're going to be talking about a pebble grant. I know this is not in your thing. Uh, bond issues going through. There's a lot of people asked for money in Page County or in the city of Florida. And uh, I don't know where we're going to get it all. The numbers are still preliminary, and the conference board set a public hearing on the full assessor's budget for February 22nd at 5 p.m. Members of the county's supervisors, area school boards, and city mayors comprise the conference board. Page County officials also decided on financial backing for two major projects this week. Now, at that same Monday morning meeting, the county's board of supervisors unanimously approved allocating $10,000 in fiscal year 2025, which begins July 1st, both the Clarinda Youth Corporation Shank Lake renovations near Clarinda and a connector trail from the Wabash Trace Nature Trail to Rapp Park north of Shenandoah. The approval also included the intent to allocate similar amounts for the following four years, amounting to $100,000 in contributions between the two projects. Funding requests for both initiatives were presented at a supervisor's meeting last week. While the CYC initially asked for a one-time $10,000 contribution, Supervisor Judy Clark says she would like to see an equal contribution to both projects. I think they're both very good projects. I would like to do equal for both of them. I would like to do $50,000, $10,000 a year for five years to commit to that. I think we could use ARPA funds for this, except we won't have them for five years, but um, at least for this next year we could. All three board members agreed it would be fair to give both projects the same amount. Noting that American Rescue Plan Act funds could be used for roads, Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes says another funding option is community betterment funds collected through a local option sales tax. County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen says the county is expected to have around $60,000 based on revenue from last year. Wellhausen says the two projects and a potential increase in county fair funding would still leave funds for last-minute needs and some buffer in case of a decrease in lost revenue. You can still save some of that in case but then too if the fair comes in and you want to give them an additional ten thousand you could do that too yes. still hold that additional thirty thousand as buffer yes and potential then if something like say tomorrow the elevator breaks or something that 
Uh, during last Thursday's meeting, Trace Director Becca Castle Laughlin outlined the proposals for her group's over $2.7 million project, which includes a connector trail stretching from the Trace to A Avenue and Rapp Park along the Nishtaponta River's south side. Also included is repaving the Trace's asphalt section from Sportsman's Park to the River Bridge and the crushed limestone portion from the River Bridge to Highway 59. It's a huge undertaking. It's larger than anything we've done in recent history with the Wabash Trace, except for building it. But we think it'd be a great benefit, uh, you know, to the county as far as tourism, health and wellness, uh, you know, blinking Route Park to the city of Shenandoah and to the Wabash Trace, which gets thousands of visitors from, you know, Omaha that ride down for day trips. Um, We always field questions wanting to know where people can camp in Shenandoah. Supporters of both projects say the county's support will assist efforts to obtain other grants. After a long absence, Ragbri returns to KMA land this summer. Officials for the 51st Register's annual Great Bicycle Ride Across Iowa announced its Southern Iowa route running July 21st through the 27th. This year's route begins in Glenwood on Keg Creek and ends in Burlington along the banks of the Mississippi River. Overnight stops for riders along the 424-mile route include Red Oak, Atlantic, Winterset, Knoxville, Ottumwa, and Mount Pleasant. Jenny Davis is the Mills County Chamber of Commerce Executive Director. Davis tells KMA News they're excited to host thousands of bicycle enthusiasts. Davis says the motivation for applying for the opportunity was twofold. For our small businesses and organizations that... The economy has not been very friendly to the last couple of years. So I honestly am hoping for um, an economic impact for for those people and also to showcase our community. Uh, Glenwood has changed quite a bit since 2016. And uh, we're just really excited to welcome everybody and, and show them all, you know, what we've got going on here in Glenwood. Glenwood served as the starting town for Ragbri in 1980, 84, 89, 92, 2003, 2011, and 2016. With selection for this summer, Glenwood ties Sioux City as starting point communities with eight each. Davis says it's all hands on deck as they prepare for the massive undertaking, adding their first meeting in Ragbri is scheduled for Monday. Last year there were 20,000 riders, and Saturday night the executive director of Ragbri announced that he expects even more this year. I looked at some historical data from 2016, and there were only 10,000 registered riders the last time we hosted so, you know, we have the potential to, to grow our town by thirty to 40,000, which, which can feel a little overwhelming, but we've got our wheels turning already, and we're going to get it done. Currently, Davis says Glenwood is in the information gathering phase and seeking vendors, volunteers, and lodging hosts. While the Chamber and City spearhead efforts, Davis's volunteers are necessary to ensure the weekend runs smoothly. Last time, I believe there were over 400 volunteers from our community that came out to make make sure it was successful. So we are going to rely on that same amount, um, if not more. And, and again, luckily, there's already been a, a great response from our community um, from members who want to be involved. Bicyclists leaving Glenwood that Sunday will head to Red Oak, the 2024 ride's first stopover community. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius tells KMA News Ragbri provides a major opportunity to showcase the community. We've got about a 24-hour period that we are going to be hosting anywhere from 30 to 50,000 bicyclists along with their caravans, you know, of RVs, trailers, and, and other such. So many of them camp. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to showcase our community and just, I guess, it's a great opportunity to showcase the community and, and the things that we have going, 
the things that make Red Oak unique and special. Sylvia says 21 committees are planned to handle the ride's various contingencies. They have a kind of a playbook with all the resources. They have, you know, materials for us to use. They have recommendations for us to use. That will be very, very helpful for us and, and all of the communities involved. So helps them make sure that there's consistency for each of the communities and for them across the board. Right. Ragbri officials are expected to announce the ride's full route in April. One person was killed in a structure fire in Farragut early Wednesday morning. Ethan Hewitt reports. The Fremont County Sheriff's Office says they received a report of an occupied structure fire at around 12.15 a.m. at a detached garage in the 100 block of Clay Street in Farragut. Authorities say that witnesses stated an individual had entered the structure and had not been seen exiting. The Sheriff's Office says that after the fire was extinguished, responders can conducted a search of the structure and located human remains. Authorities say the identity is being withheld pending notification. Fire departments from Farragut, Shenandoah, Essex, Riverton, Sydney, Hamburg, Randolph, Tabor, and Thurman all responded to the call, and the incident remains under investigation by the state fire marshal. I'm Ethan Hewitt reporting. The fate of Iowa's area education agency system is still undecided at the state house. Governor Kim Reynolds is urging legislators to advance her plan to overhaul the state's AAs. To stick our head in the sand and say everything is perfect, I don't want to change anything, we need more time, that's ridiculous. Businesses have to do this every day to survive. We need to start operating government in that manner because ultimately that is how the kids are going to get a quality education. Reynolds says test scores show students with disabilities aren't being served well by the AAs. The governor spoke with reporters just before hour-long hearings Wednesday in the Iowa House and Senate on her bill. Key House Republicans say there's still a need for more discussions before the bill is ready for a committee vote. Though the bill cleared a Senate subcommittee, Republican Senator Ken Rosenboom of Oskaloosa says legislators need to find answers to questions that have been raised. I'm not going to dissect the bill today. I mean, we, we've had discussions about it. We've heard pros and cons. There's conceptual, fundamental pieces of this that we need to address. And then we have to wrestle with the rollout and a timeline that, that, that serves again, serves our children well. Council Bluff Superintendent Vicki Morello says the governor's plan will transform an outdated system. For the past seven years, I have watched millions of blow-through dollars from our district go directly to the AA without having a voice for how those dollars will be used to support the needs of our district. Waukee Superintendent Brad Buck, the former director of the Iowa Department of Education, says the bill will create winners and losers. It's far more likely that larger districts will come out in better shape than this bill than smaller and especially rural districts. Dan Daughton, a former principal and superintendent, is a lobbyist for the school administrators of Iowa and rural school advocates of Iowa, groups that oppose the bill. Right now, districts are sharing school social workers with AAs in order to provide mental health services for their children. That it will go away with this bill as it is prohibited. Specifically, rural schools will be impacted, I think, more so than many others. Couldn't find mental health workers before we had this uh, sharing agreement. Representatives of Iowans for Tax Relief, Americans for Prosperity, and the Iowa Manufacturing Housing Association urged legislators to ratify the governor's changes, which would reduce property taxes by $33 million. The AA issue was as hot as the coffee served at two Page County legislative briefings last Saturday. 
Like other lawmakers, State Representative Tom Moore has been swamped with emails regarding the issue and has met with both the governor, AA officials, and members of the Iowa House's Education Committee. Saying his position is complicated, Moore told attendees at the Shenandoah briefing he won't support the bill until there is enough time devoted to study it and the services for students are maintained. The way it's been rolled out has just been too fast, and so we need to slow down, and that's, that's where I'm at. We've got to slow down, we've got to study this, we've got to look at it, and we've got to find what the AAs are doing that's great and maintain that, what they can change and change that, what we need to get rid of and get rid of that, and go from there. The Griswold Republican also questioned shifting some of the AA services to the Iowa Department of Education. Moore made similar remarks at the Clarinda briefing, where he also reiterated some of Reynolds's reasons for changing AEAs. Those reasons include low test scores for Iowa special education students. However, the Griswold Republican believes other entities are also at fault for the state's underachieving test scores. The AEAs are at fault. If we have bad scores, the AAs are at fault. School districts are at fault. Teachers are at fault. And parents are at fault. There's more to this than just the AAs. So we need to get it right. At least one Clarenda briefing attendee believes Reynolds and Iowa lawmakers should also share the blame for low special ed scores. State Senator Tom Shipley questioned whether tests are an accurate indicator of special education students' performances. Test scores, to me, that is a definition of whether a school district's doing well or not is just an absolute joke because, frankly, you wouldn't find a school district in southwest Iowa big enough to have enough of a sample. State Representative Devin Wood joined Shipley and Moore in Clarinda. Wood says the special ed test scores are a misnomer in that high performers are often removed from special ed and are not tested the following year. The New Market Republican says the governor's original proposal is not the way to go on revamping the state's AEAs. However, she says it's generated conversation. First of all, it raised awareness for folks who might not know what your AEAs do in your communities. Check that box, absolutely. Did it scare folks who either work for the AEAs or or work with the AEAs closely um, and need those services in their classrooms? Check that box, absolutely. Did it actually get to the next step of solving the problem? We haven't hit that box yet. More discussion on this issue is expected at the State House in the coming weeks. Planning continues for a new recreational project in Bedford. On Wednesday night, the Bedford City Council held a public hearing concerning the FARM project. In this case, FARM is an acronym for where families and recreation meet. Bedford Area Economic Development Director Cole Walters tells KMA News the hearing dealt with the proposed site of the project, which is next to the city's swimming pool in Bibbins Park. The pool is owned by the city and it's in a park, Bibbins Park that is also owned by the city. So the plan was that we would carve out maybe some space and then they would the city would sell it to Taylor County Partners, who's a nonprofit that is going to build and operate the farm. And then um, then Taylor County Partners would own the land and then they could build on the property. The point of that was um, to remove the city from having to be the applicant on our grants which just removes one layer of bureaucracy from kind of the process. Estimated at $12.5 million, Walter says the project would serve as a recreation center and community hub. We have a proposed indoor playground that would be on the south end of our building, at least in our current location design. And then 
a fitness center, um, batting cages, sauna, the, the things you normally find, but then also some things that you can do for maybe people who are a little bit older with a multi-purpose room, maybe cooking classes, art classes, music classes, and then a walking track kind of goes above the whole facility. Walter says farm would serve not only Bedford, but residents in surrounding communities. You know, our analytics show that people from 40 miles away would come to use it because of the things that we have are not available in the area, namely the batting cages and indoor playground are not things that are available to most people in southwest Iowa. Generally speaking, people go to Des Moines, Kansas City, St. Joe, Count of Bluffs to, to do those types of things. Walters cites communities like Stanton and Woodbine who benefit from similar recreation centers in their communities. No action was taken by the council. While saying most of the feedback from Wednesday's hearing was positive, Walter says some residents expressed concerns over placing the building in the park next to the pool. He says members of Taylor County Partners, the project supporters, plan to discuss other possible locations at a future meeting. Plans call for seeking a variety of funding sources, including donations and federal and state grants. Messina officials have taken the next step to overhaul the community's water distribution system. Meeting in special session Wednesday, the Messina City Council set a public hearing for March 11th on plans and specifications, form of contract, and cost estimate for the 2023 Water Distribution System Improvement Project. Council also plans a bid lending for the project February 22nd and award a contract to the March 11th meeting. Kirk Kempman is Senior Project Manager with JEO Consulting and has been assisting the city in developing the project. Kempman tells KMA News plans call for replacing most of the city's decades-old water mains and water meters throughout the community. It has been having increasing uh, issues with just leakage and, and water main breaks. And so we're going to take care of that by installing uh, new 6-inch PVC water main uh, throughout the community, about 16,000 uh, feet. And in addition, we're going to be moving the city's existing water meters, uh, all the residential water meters, out into meter pits so that we can increase the connectivity with the city's automated meter reading system. Cabin says most of the system is 2- or 4-inch cast iron pipe. Plans call replacing more than 200 meters through the town and relocate them alongside the resident's property line. The contractor will be uh, coordinating with with private homeowners um, to be able to relocate those existing water meters um, from their location interior to the home uh, out into the, the meter pit. Um, that's going to be located on the property line uh, just inside the right-of-way. During the water main replacements, Campman says the goal is to cause as little service disruption as possible by constructing the new water mains parallel to the existing system. There'll be short uh, intervals of uh, a period of a couple hours when we make that changeover from the existing pipe over to the new pipe. But those changeovers and those downtimes will be coordinated with those affected users at least 24 to 48 hours in advance. However, he says a few streets in town with main replaced more recently are not included in the project. Campman says completion is expected by the summer of 2025. Next weekend is super for more than one reason for some Clarinda area youth. Final preparations are underway for the Clarinda Youth Theater production of Frozen Junior. Cindy Dara directs a cast of 23 middle school youth that's been working since November on this mini version of the classic Disney movie. Dara tells KMA News extra provisions were made for rehearsals because of weather more fitting for building a snowman. Rehearsals, we rehearse Monday through 
Thursday usually and then I added on a Friday rehearsal and we normally rehearse from 3.30 to 5.30 and then we went ahead and added a Sunday rehearsal just this last Sunday and the kids are more than willing to, they, they were so ready to get to practicing and they really wanted to be here so um, to add an extra practice is not a hard thing to get them to do. Cast members include 8th grader Olivia Fleming who says she enjoys playing the older Elsa. I think it's really fun because I get a lot of experience and I have a lot of big songs that I get to sing and I'm really excited to put on a show for the crowd. Clarinda Youth Theater's production of Frozen Junior takes place at Clarinda High School Auditorium next Friday and Saturday evening at 7 and Super Bowl Sunday February 11th at 2 p.m. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com. You can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.